Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Torah for the Earth audio essay. I'm your host, Charlie Forbes, and this week I'll be addressing Parashat Re'eh, which is Hebrew for see. This is the opening word of the Parashah, which we read as Moshe Rabbeinu addresses the people of Israel. See, he says, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. Between this Parashah and the next two, Parashat Shoftim and Parashat Tetzeh, we're given a majority of the commandments that are identified in Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. But, as Rashi points out, the blessings and curses that are mentioned at the beginning of this portion are not actually given, at least not right away. Instead, we're given instructions for a sequence of blessings and curses which are to be given later at Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval. The nuance of this point is that precepts are generally given before they need to be implemented. And this is the case for the mitzvot that are unique to Eretz Yisrael, which the Israelites have yet to enter. But the main axiom driving this parasha is the doctrine of free choice. We have the freedom to choose whether we hearken to the commandments or disobey them, and our choice about the path we take can become defined by a reality that is either a blessing or a curse. This is a dichotomy that underlies the vital task of caring for the land of Israel. But seeing is also a matter of perspective. In Bereshit Rabbah, we read, No evil thing is issued from above. This is one reason why the word curse has sometimes been translated as substitute, because Hashem only delivers blessings, but those blessings can become substituted by something else. The dichotomy arises because of how we perceive phenomena, which is also dependent upon the condition of our lives. Are we in a state where we can be receptive to a blessing? Or will the events of our lives be forever disguised as something else? This is certainly a theme that is arising as human beings are encountering the monumental task of addressing the environmental crisis. And one could make the claim that this is a curse of our own making, a curse that we were perhaps even destined to make. Later, in Parashat Nitzavim, we read, quote, See, I have placed life and death before you, blessing and curse, end quote. In the age of the Anthropocene, it has become increasingly clear that humans have chosen death, or at least some kind of modified substitute for life, and the impacts of this choice have impacted the physical environment so severely that we're losing ecosystems and wildlife at an alarming rate. Choose life so that you will live, you and your offspring. This is chapter 30, verse 19. Embedded within this verse is, of course, an underlying belief and acceptance of Torah. But with that perspective also comes an obligation to live up to the holiness of the land, to care for it, to safeguard it, and ensure that the land remains in a condition whereby the generations that come after you can also choose life. Later, in chapter 12, verse 30, 
When we read about the prohibitions against copying the rights of the Canaanites, a warning is provided to be careful not to be lured to follow their ways. Implicit within their ways is a variety of behavior that brought about their own destruction, that being the Canaanites, which also degenerated the holiness of the land. It's important to note that the chosenness of the land of Israel is distinct from its holiness. These are two separate theological elements that are also echoed in the Jewish people. And because the root of all life is holiness, this is a concept that can be extended beyond the land of Israel, despite its chosenness. The point here is that seeing is a challenge to be met. Having the freedom to choose our reality is woven into our destiny, and that destiny is dependent upon our capacity to honor the sanctity of the land. Otherwise, we end up with some kind of modified substitute for life, which can only partly embrace the safety of future generations. The summons now for the collective Earth community is to see that the only choice we have is the free and unrestrained assertion of will. And since the intrinsic will of the human soul is for life and well-being, the only free choice we have is to care for the earth, to change our ways, to honor the good, and to consider all the events of our lives as blessings from above. The intention is not to reduce or simplify the truth about modern life, or to objectify the reality of suffering being experienced by billions of people across the globe, but rather to internalize two ideas. That one, Hashem your God is testing you, and two, that this first realization should inspire a heartfelt conviction to confront the collective suffering of this world. One of the basic teachings of the Torah is that God does not expect of a human being anything which is beyond the human capacity to carry out. And this notion should serve as somewhat of a comfort for those of us wanting to institute change by ecologically repairing our world. Sometimes activism is actually about the small things that we see directly in front of us, not necessarily the big ideas that we have yet to imagine. Maybe it's something as small as picking up a piece of garbage that blows by you in the street. The point is that Hashem will not put anything in front of you that you cannot handle. Inherent within the doctrine of free choice is the opportunity to realize our potential, and inherent within a blessing is the opportunity to act on that potential. That's why it's a blessing. This is something we can take to heart when we see openings to act on our desire to confront suffering. In the Talmud, we read that, quote, every Jew should be an animator of the living, end quote. This is a concept that arises later in the parasha, around the mitzvah of charity, tzedakah, and the forgiving of loans during the sabbatical year. But tzedakah is, in essence, an act of life-giving. This is, of course, because charity can quite literally sustain the life of the poor. But we can think of tzedakah as a quantitative exercise as much as a qualitative one. It's a material exercise as much as it's a spiritual one. 
the earth too is in a desperate situation in need of new life. The qualitative exercise of earth-based tzedakah is about realizing that every physical thing, including the earth, has a spiritual source from which it derives its vitality. And our job, as animators of the living, is to provide those things with a new life. In our journey to elevate our own vitalizing soul, it's our duty to care for those who are in despair, both the poor and the earth. The sages often equate tzedakah with all of the other commandments. Throughout the Jerusalem Talmud, charity is actually called the commandment. So now, one could say that the most vitally important mitzvah is the mitzvah of earth-based tzedakah, which includes both the poor and the extended earth family of non-human animals and flora who are in need of new life. In chapter 14, this parasha outlines the laws of forbidden foods. But before that, we read about the regulations surrounding the consumption of non-sacrificial meat. Basically, this is kosher meat, meat eaten for ordinary sustenance that, while not given as an offering in the temple, still needed, or needs, to undergo certain procedures of ritual slaughter. It's important to note, and this is something that's highlighted in the Talmud as well, that non-sacrificial meat was originally prohibited, and this is something that changes once the Israelites enter the land. In chapter 12, verse 23, we read, quote, Be strong to not eat the blood, end quote. There's a rabbinic interpretation that eating blood strengthens the body, and it strengthens the body because there's life in the blood. In this same verse, we read, quote, For the blood, it is the life, end quote, which is why the nephesh, the soul, is directly associated with the blood. But this verse is indicating that a person will be strong even though blood is not eaten. There are many things in this world that make us strong. Steroids, machines, guns, and many varieties of technology. And some of those things have been harmful for our humanity and for the earth. But there's something very interesting happening here with a prohibition given once the Israelites enter the land. Which is to say, once the Israelites are positioned in a way to choose a blessing or a curse. Because this commandment, to not eat the blood, is about the practical implementation of a material gesture that does not denigrate life. And this is inseparable from a duty to care for the land and safeguard its holiness. Strength is about positioning ourselves for a blessing and seeing the challenges of this world as an opportunity for growth and spiritual development. And we can't position ourselves to care for the land when we're strengthening ourselves by injuring the animators of the living. Put another way, there's no justification anymore in this modern world to profit off the lives of others, other creatures, other habitats, other cultures. In industrialized societies, our substitutions certainly impact local environments, but also impact environments around the world. The earth is an interconnected web of systems. 
This parasha, Parashat Re'eh, is asking us to see those impacts and to consider the systems on which many lives depend. Thank you all for listening. That's all for now, and I'll catch you next week.